Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. And today my very special guest is Samantha Northcott. And Samantha, you're uh, in New Zealand, so uh, it's Friday night for me, uh, Saturday afternoon or like right around lunchtime for you. Yep, that's right. Well, I uh, always love these uh, these international interviews because it's uh, it's great that we get to coordinate all the way across the world. Um, but, uh, Samantha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. I'm really excited to, uh, tell your story and kind of dig into everything that you're doing, uh, over in New Zealand. Uh, but, but the best way to get started, I think, is just for us to learn a little bit more about you. Sorry, bless you. Is that a sneeze? Um, but then, <laughs> a little yeah, a little, a little bit. It's, uh, it's always fun, little technical difficulties there. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your diagnosis story, and how you sort of joined the type 1 diabetes family? Yeah, cool. So um, I got diagnosed of late onset. So I was diagnosed when I was 24. Um, it was a long time coming. Like looking back, I probably showed all the signs and symptoms all through my teenage years, working up till 24. Um, and no doctors kind of helped me out. No one ever suspected anything. Um, and then with lots of female hormone problems and everything, the doctors finally decided, hey, maybe we should just check your blood sugar levels. It's probably not anything, but we'll just do a double check just in case. And that was like on a Monday. And then on the Friday, I got a call from the hospital just being like, hey, we need you to come into the hospital like now. And I was like, oh, I'm actually just on my way to work. Like, is it all good if I pop in tomorrow? Like, this can't be that urgent. And they're like, no, we need you, like, now. The emergency department's waiting for you. Get here. And I was like, okay. Just kind of, like, fluffed around in my flat for a wee bit. Didn't really think much of it. And then I get another phone call from the hospital saying, don't forget to pack an overnight bag you may be here a while. And that's when I kind of started freaking out and thinking, what the hell is going on? Um, and so I got to the hospital and it took them about 12 hours to diagnose everything and get me on insulin and get everything going. They kind of didn't know what was going on. Um, and then I had a quick 30-minute chat with a diabetes nurse on how to inject everything, and I was kind of sent on my way and had to learn everything all by myself. So that's kind of why I got really involved in the type 1 community, because I didn't know anything. I've got no family history. Um, and yeah, I kind of just needed that support and needed people to tell me kind of what was going on with my body at the time. 
Wow. And, and I think it's always interesting when we're talking about late onset diagnosis because, you know, you get less information, I think, than in general, you get less information than a childhood or, or juvenile diagnosis. Um, what was that like for you kind of, you know, when you got diagnosed, the rhetoric and the, you know, how the doctors described everything to you? Um, did you feel empowered or did you sort of come across that on your own? Uh, it probably took me about eight months to finally like be at one with my diabetes and feel good about it and realize that it's like a blessing. At first, the doctors didn't tell me anything and all the nurses didn't really speak English. The Waikato hospital isn't that great. Um, and yeah, I literally just had a half hour chat and they kind of set me on my own and that was all that the doctors said to me. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. So just like in and out on with your day. Yeah, pretty much just set me off my on my way and let me deal with it. And, you know, looking back, would you would you have had it any other way or would you have maybe, you know, rather had a little bit more handholding or more information? I kind of enjoy that it's been my own journey. I have kind of I still do it all by myself now and I manage it all by myself now. So it's just kind of been that way from the get go. So it's been really nice just getting to know my body and learn and not have anyone else's opinions on how to manage type one forced upon me. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a really, um, you know, I think you have to be a certain type of person to, you know, be able to take things in stride like that and sort of embrace the journey. Um, and is that does that do you think that comes from you know just you and your personality or does some of the other things in your life you know healthy balance and uh, you know maybe even from your family life just being kind of willing to take things in stride and make the best of it? Yeah, I think I've always just kind of been like that. Even as a kid and a teenager, it's just kind of been just whatever happens kind of happens, and you just deal with it and you move on and deal with it in the best way that you can. I got the day that I got diagnosed after I got accepted into a nutrition and well-being course so it's kind of gone hand in hand I've learned a lot about taking on your own journey and about your body and about well-being while I was going through the whole diagnosis process so it's been really handy yeah what a like what a kind of silver lining to that moment like you'll always have your diagnosis day and then right off the bat some good news to go along with some uh, some sometimes bad news Exactly. It's like a blessing in disguise. Right. So what did you, you know, how did you take your type one diagnosis and, uh, and then also, you know, your nutrition courses and your training, I imagine those went hand in hand, right? You were able to throw yourself into one and then also the other. Yeah. I, the course starts off, you do a basic, like physiology and anatomy on the body so they go through everything and how everything in the body works so while I was doing that I was learning all about my own pancreas and things that happen in the pancreas that can affect my blood sugars and not affect my blood sugars so everything really just went hand in hand with each other um and you know as a new diabetic right um you know how beneficial was that to you to sort of realize how everything works kind of right off the bat it was so beneficial. I get so many people that I know with type 1 wishing that they kind of had the basic anatomy knowledge that I have to help themselves as well. Like, 
I know exactly what's going on in my body and I know exactly what hormones are affecting what at the time that I'm going low or at the time that I'm going high and it's just such handy extra knowledge to kind of know what's going on. Well, and I think, you know, when I look back on on my diagnosis, my, my mom is not a licensed nutritionist, but she owned a Curves franchise that was here in the U.S. as like a women's workout center for 12 years. So like her knowledge of, you know, what foods do to you and, and you know, what exercise, the impact of exercise on your body. And so like a basic uh, nutrition and anatomy physiology, like helped me tremendously. And I think, um, you know, the more knowledge you have, it's easier to make those decisions. So do you remember anything in spe- specifically like during your time, like at school or, or in the program um, that, you know, really clicked for you and really made a big impact in your type one? Um, probably a lot is stress and our stress hormones. I used to do a lot of exercise 24 seven and would lift heavy weights and work out two to three times a day thinking that that's kind of what would help lower my blood sugar levels and that is what would be good for me. And then in the course I learned all about the stress hormones and how exercise affects those hormones and how then those hormones then create high blood sugar levels and then we get low blood sugar levels later once those hormones start to drop. And I really started to try out with non-stressful exercise, a lot of yoga, a lot of Pilates and that kind of thing. And I just noticed a whole switch within my diabetes and it was so crazy. Well, and I think that's something that a lot of people talk about and there's a lot more awareness around it now. Um, so what did you do? What, you know, it, Because I think a lot of people have questions about exercise quite a bit because um, you know, either whether it's going low during an, an exercise or a workout or going high uh, and the effects of stress and cortisol on your blood sugars. Um, for me personally, when I played basketball, I was very stressed about game time uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so I had to change the way my I approached going to uh, and preparing for my games because my blood sugar would go like on a fasting blood sugar would go from like 80 to over 400. And so wow. I, you know, and obviously like you feel really terrible when you, when you have that type of stress and that type of blood sugar. So, um, what did you learn? And then now how did that affect the, and how did that change the way that you, you know, approached exercise? I always wondered cause I'd go to the gym and I would all of a sudden be really and I'd be like, what is going on? Like, I'm exercise is supposed to bring your blood sugar down. Like, what is happening? And I always struggled because I never wanted to go to the gym. I always felt so terrible at the gym and never wanted to do anything when I exercised. And then I read somewhere that yoga was supposed to be really good. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then I started learning more about cortisol, stress hormones, and thought, oh, maybe I'll give this a try. And it was the first exercise class that I'd been to where my blood sugars did not change. They just stayed stable the whole time. And I was like, this is this has got to be a good thing. And from then on, I've just continued with yoga and Pilates. And throughout every single class I go to, my blood sugars just stay exactly the same. Wow. So, so like really right away, you were able to see the difference. Yeah. Right away from that first class, I was just converted. <laughs> So I think that a lot of people look, you know, they're looking for that balance of, you know, especially exercise, because it's hard enough, especially here in the U.S., I'm not sure in New Zealand, but in the U.S., uh, 
it's pretty well known that we're not all in the best shape physically. We don't, we're not very active. Um, and you know, at least as a general rule. So, you know, there's a lot of things preventing you, a lot of obstacles to overcome just to get to the gym, even if you don't have diabetes, whether that's work or it's happy hour or fast food or whatever, or just motivation. Um, and then on the, um, on the other end, you have your diabetes and your blood sugar, starting blood sugar, blood sugar throughout the workout and at the end. Um, so what would you recommend for people who, you know, have had not, not much success in terms of, you know, approaching their workouts? What, what kind of advice or um, what kind of plan would you put, it, put, put them on to try to achieve a little bit more success with their workouts? It's really just trial and error. It was so individual, but like those low intensive exercises, just like going for a walk or yoga or Pilates or just those really nice low intensive exercises tend to be the ones that don't increase our stress hormones enough to create a high blood sugar level or any kind of problems with our blood sugars during exercise. So it's just about finding the exercise that you really enjoy doing, whether it's taking a walk with friends or going for a walk with your dog or every morning pulling up that YouTube yoga video and just doing some low intensive exercise that isn't going to cause a lot of stress on the body and isn't going to cause a lot of stress in your mind because you know you should be doing this. You just don't enjoy it. Right. I mean, and that's the thing is stress on the body is one thing. And, you know, that mental sort of fatigue from, uh, you know, from trying to achieve a, you know, a positive result from a workout and then getting done and, and being high, not feeling good and having to overcorrect and then swinging low. Um, it's very difficult. So, you know, you kind of run into that mental fatigue. Um, so, yeah, that's cool. I'll, I want to I want to make sure that, you know, there's as much information out there about the success that people with type one have with exercise that is a little bit more balanced. So you're talking about the yoga, less stress, maybe less, um, less impact, less weight, but that's still manageable. And then, you know, positive, obviously on their blood sugars. Yeah, definitely. It's just about finding that really nice balance between going for a nice walk and getting your heart rate up just enough to get the benefits from exercise without having to sit there afterwards and feel terrible because you have already all of a sudden had this low and you're smashing back all these lollies and kind of defeated the whole purpose of working out. It's really just about finding the exercise that you really enjoy doing and you wake up and you're like, yeah, I can't wait to go for a walk. Or, yeah, I can't wait to go to that Pilates class today. Absolutely. So, for you, um, you know, after, you know, the, your diagnosis a few years ago, uh, you know, you're going through the nutrition program. Um, what other changes did you uh, discover along the way, sort of outside of exercise in terms of maybe diet or, um, you know, any other choices that you that you kind of learned as you were going through that journey? I really discovered low carb eating right off the back of my diagnosis I was always interested in diet and nutrition that's why I was trying to get into the course um and I was reading a book called what the fat which is all about a high fat low carbohydrate diet and then I got diagnosed and I was sitting there thinking about my blood sugars and thinking what impacted them and it just clicked that 
I've got a problem metabolizing carbohydrates, so why would I eat a lot of carbohydrates when I can't use them efficiently? And then I started reading more and more into it, and I started looking more into it, and I saw a low-carb dietitian, and she kind of set me on the right path for low-carb eating and how how that's really going to affect my blood sugar levels over a long time. Um, but it definitely was a huge struggle. They don't really promote low-carb eating over here. I don't know if they do in the States. Um, but I had pl- many, many dietitians tell me that I was going to create a lot more problems on my body just eating low-carb than I would my diabetes ever would. You know, it's interesting because, you know, here in the U.S., when when you're diagnosed, you are, you know, they give you the plan based on, like, the American, quote unquote, American diet, which is a high calorie, high carbohydrate um, diet. So it's not, it's not that low carb is not popular here in the U.S. because I think it is in terms of uh, when people are focusing on nutrition. But I think the focus on nutrition is what is low here in the U.S. and that's something that um, it's hard for me sometimes. To, I, I have to remember that because. I'm very focused on my nutrition. I have a high awareness of things that are good for me, things that are bad for me, things that are out there that I can take that um, you know are going to be beneficial to my physical body as well as my diabetes. But there's a lot of people out there who aren't concerned with those things and who aren't really even concerned with health in general. So, you know, it's it's very interesting because I used to feel very passionately about, you know, we don't give people the right information when they're diagnosed. And I've talked to some parents um, who feel the same way, and they immediately put their kids on a very low-carb, high-fat, high-vegetable, protein-style diet after they were diagnosed because they were like, well, this makes the most sense in terms of, you know, minimizing the big spikes from, uh, you know, from blood sugars. So, you know, they think, hey, you know, this is the stuff that we should be teaching, but one thing I see on the side of the doctors is like, it's, that's one thing. And, and yes, that is good. And yes, um, you know, that is certainly a way that you can minimize some of those spikes. But if someone has no knowledge of a proper, healthy, balanced diet, um, it's not sustainable for them to just immediately jump into something like that. So, you know, giving them that base level information, I definitely understand where that comes from. Um, although I'm very much like you, I eat a higher fat, lower carb diet. Um, and that has worked really well for me over the last couple of years. Yeah, we're so the same over here. We just don't give the tools to anyone diagnosed with type one on things that can help them. And it's very just based on that food pyramid that we need to be eating lots of breads, lots of grains. And then we create all these extra problems and people just don't know where to start to look for the right information or how to start and that's really the knowledge that they need is just how to start looking into nutrition ways to help them and that nutrition can actually help them because that's another big thing that we don't really promote that much over here and you know i think it's very it sounds like new zealand and the u.s are very similar in terms of you know the way that the food pyramid is promoted to people and like the general knowledge that's given Um, you know, people I think are still concerned with like fat free foods instead of, you know, looking at sugar and, you know, calories and, you know, versus quality of food and things like that. Um, it's very interesting. It's just another awareness thing. And I think with diabetes, it's the same way. You know, they, we only give people or people can only make decisions according to the information that they have. And, 
you know, we just don't necessarily arm them with uh, the best information right off the bat across the board. Now, there are certainly exceptions to that rule, um, but I think, you know, the for me, the easiest uh, meal plan to manage in terms of diabetes has been the low-carb, high-fat, high-vegetable diet. So Yeah, definitely. Um, give us a, so give us like a, uh, an overview of like what you would eat. Like what's a normal day of your like diet look like? Um, a normal day for breakfast, I normally have some form of eggs, whether it's in an omelet, um, or an omelet with a bunch of spinach and green veggies. It's always eggs and some kind of green vegetable, um, really my go-to because it gets me through the morning about mid-morning I have all my supplements and my vitamin c water to try and get all those base nutrients in me um and then lunch is generally leftovers from the day before because I just don't have time or motivation to cook lunch I find lunch the most boring meal of the day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I normally have leftovers for lunch and then dinner really is just veggies and meat. It's really all it is. Lots and lots of green veggies, lots of different color, lots of foods that are in season so that I'm getting the right nutrients that I need for the right time of year that it is nice and fresh. Um, and yeah, it really is just lots and lots of veggies and meat for every meal. And, and you know, is that sort of the, you know, for somebody who is asking, you know, how they get started, is that sort of where you would point them? Yeah, yeah. A lot of, I feel even people without diabetes generally eat a lot more processed and carbohydrate-driven foods than what we need to, um, whether you are a carb or a protein kind of metabolizer. Um, and I just feel like people need to decrease the emphasis on how much carbs they're having and if they have rice with their curry or have rice with their stir fry and just put the emphasis on having lots of green veggies lots of fresh veggies that are in season lots of different color and variety in their meals yeah and i think uh, i had a uh I had an interview with a chef who's actually a type 2 diabetic he was the first type 2 that i had on the podcast uh chef robert lewis and he talks about you know, the different colors that you can, if you can see more than three colors in your dish, you're probably doing a good job. Um, if everything's the same color, you might need to throw some stuff in there. Um, it's just a, a simple rule. Are there any other simple rules that you use uh, during the day that kind of help you stay in line? Yeah, definitely the color rule, lots of, especially lots of green. Um, and I use my palms a lot for measuring. I am terrible at physically going out there and thinking, oh, I need one cup of this and I only need one cup of this. I can't be bothered measuring. So I generally use my palms for every meal. So you want one palm size of protein with your meal. You want one palm size of complex carbohydrates with your meal, whether that's your brown rice, your sweet potato, your buckwheat. And then you want two palm sizes of vegetables. So it's kind of an easy way to just look at your plate and be like, oh, yeah, that's about a palm size. That's going to be the right amount for my body. Yeah, I think the simpler the rules that we can keep, the better off we're going to be, especially for people who are trying to get started, right? Um, Yeah. And also just, you know, recognizing that everybody's got to start somewhere. Yeah, we do all have to start somewhere. And just starting the basics just 
increasing those green veggies, increasing water intake is just going to make such a big difference on someone's blood sugar levels and someone's well-being that they're just going to want to continue and continue on that path. And that's something that's important as well for diabetes. And I know you're relatively early on in your journey as well. Um, you know, this is a lifelong disease, right? And it's a chronic illness that there doesn't have a cure. Um, I think that we're in the best time that there's ever been to live with type one. Um, and I know a lot of people agree whether it's technology or community or a combination of the two. Um, how do you find balance in terms of, you know, keeping your mind healthy and strong with that sort of battling the burnout or, uh, do you ever run into any hurdles where you just, you know, people make the jokes like, I just can't diabetes today. I just don't want to be a diabetic today. Yeah, I definitely still struggle with them all the time. I had a little burnout last week where I just couldn't, you know, I was just having lows all night long. And I just couldn't, just didn't want to anymore and I just couldn't be bothered. Um, and I just kind of reflect on my life and I learned a really good visualization kind of technique where you kind of sit back, close your eyes and you think, if I continue doing what I'm doing, whether it's if I continue eating a lot of sugar or eating a bad diet, what am I going to look like in two months? What am I going to look like in 10 years? And then what am I going to look like in 20 years? And it kind of, you sit there and you look at yourself in 20 years and you kind of think, oh, well, I could have lost a limb. I might not have my eyesight anymore. And then you do it again with, oh, what do I look like in two months if I did change my diet and kept focusing on managing my blood sugars? And then what do I look like in 10 years? And then what do I look like in 20 years when I've been really balanced diet, really focused on my blood sugar levels? And you kind of see the difference on how it is if you don't manage them very well or if you do manage them very well. Well, you know, it's tough uh, because I, I think the same thing. You know, I want to know – I get encouraged when I see people who uh, have been living with type 1 for a long time uh, by like more than 40 years. I met a guy a couple weeks back who had been living with type 1 for 57 years. And wow. And he, he looked great. Um, and I thought, you know, in that moment I was like, well – you know, 57 years ago, even 30 years ago, 20 years ago, he didn't have the same technology that we have today um, to take care of himself. And, you know, he still looks great. So um, I felt really encouraged by that. Um, just knowing, hey, how far technology's come. Um, I'm not sure how you treat your diabetes. Do you use pens or injections or, um, or a pump? Um, I use injections, actually. Cool. So yeah, like, um, you know, there's multiple ways for us to treat. I'm, a, I'm about to get a new pump uh, here, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, fingers crossed. Um, Yay. With like the closed loop, hybrid closed loop system from Medtronic. So, you know, it's going to be able to read my CGM is going to be able to read my blood sugars and make decisions for me. And I feel like that's going to be so, um, you know, we were talking about mental stress earlier. That's going to be so, you know, relieving from some of that, I think. And I think, you know, as we get into more conversations and more um or i guess as we as we continue that dialogue with like healthcare providers and and device uh, manufacturers of what we want and what we're looking for uh they really are listening and and they're cre coming up with really great stuff for us and so you know i think that in 50 years 60 years hopefully there will be a cure but if not um i feel like living with type one won't be as big of a burden as it is today or as it's been in the last you know 50 years
Yeah, definitely. I can't wait to see, like, even in just the two years that I've been diagnosed, there's been so many different changes already and so many new little devices to come out to help manage it. It's so awesome to see that in 50 years, if I do give my children type 1, that they're going to have such an easier kind of way to be able to deal with it and just taking the technology is just going to take a lot of that mental stress off them and you know you you talked about you 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 bring up a good point like if you know your children you know your future children have type one um what do you what are you most hopeful for with your life from type one what are you looking for when you think about the future and you think about you know like you mentioned 10 years 20 years 30 years down the line what do you what makes you excited what are you looking forward to I'm really just looking forward to using all of my nutrition knowledge and helping others with type 1 to be able to have a real balanced lifestyle and not look at diabetes as a burden rather than look at diabetes as a strong way that we can just live with it and empower ourselves with it. It's such a it's got such a negative aura about it whether it's type 1 or type 2. The general community just think about it as such a negative thing whereas with if we are able to switch that and just think positively about it, we can just change so much. Yeah, and I think the you know there's been a lot of <clears throat> a lot of progress I think in the you know the general conversation around diabetes in general, um, and I think social media is a big part of that. I kind of joke that it's the T1D Renaissance that we're living in this like. Uh, era where it's all of a sudden for the first time cool to have type one and really cool to embrace you know the things about you that make you unique and you know I just think in the next 10 years because of companies like and organizations like beyond type one um, and all the people associated with it and with JRF and you know even the ADA to some point like they're they're getting better at talking about living with type 1 diabetes um, and living with diabetes in general um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's easy to bristle up as a type one diabetic and like have, uh, feel negatively towards, uh, type twos, but you know, they're in this as well and they don't mean any harm by it. Um, and you know, a lot of it, I was reading an article this week, a guy in the NFL in the national football league has type two diabetes and he's in great shape. Um, so for me, I was like, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, you're not taking care of yourself, uh, if you have type two, uh, but that's not always the case. And, um, you know, which I found really fascinating. So, uh, you know, the, the more awareness and that's the, uh, the interesting thing about diabetes as well is that, you know, you can have as much awareness. I feel like I know a lot about both and I can still learn something new every day. Yeah. There's always, always new stuff to be learning, new technology that's coming out, new information that's coming out. It's such an evolving disease that we're never going to be just stuck with living with it. We're always going to be able to get new knowledge and new technology and new ways to deal with it. So, you know, in that, in that kind of, um, in that same vein, um, I asked this question to all my guests on the podcast. Um, so if you listen through, through them all the way to the end, you'll know what, the, what question this is, but, um, let's, for example, uh, let's kind of put this context together. So, uh, imagine that you're in an airport and they're about to, uh, you have 30 seconds before they close the door to your gate. So, um, this flight is super important and you can't miss it. Whatever's on the other end is super important. So, uh, but you run into somebody who has either been struggling with their type one or has only has been recently diagnosed. Um, what's the one thing that you tell them in that 30 seconds? 
that everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Um, and for you, uh, what, what did that, what did it mean to hear that uh, early on? Um, it kind of meant everything. Like I didn't know anyone in my life that had type one. I didn't know anyone that had friends or family with type one. Like everyone kind of surrounding me didn't know anything about it and didn't really know how to deal with me or what to say to me or everyone just told me like, oh, you poor thing, you poor thing, you poor thing. And it just made me get really down and depressed about it that everyone is like, you poor thing. My cousin unfortunately got diagnosed with breast cancer around the same time that I got diagnosed and she was feeling more sorry for me than she was for herself. And I just couldn't get my head around it. Like she has cancer. Like I can deal with diabetes. I can take injections. Like she was going through this massive change and she was feeling sorry for me. And it wasn't until I luckily enough got to meet Ruby McGill from Wellington um, for lunch one day, her and her daughter. And she just told me everything is going to be all right. Like, you'll be fine, you'll deal with it, there's going to be ups and downs, but you'll be fine. And it was after that that I kind of finally felt okay with it and finally realized that it was actually all just going to be okay. That's so cool. I interviewed Ruby, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, and we, we didn't have a great connection on the podcast in terms of like uh, the internet kind of was spotty. Uh, where she was, but she is just an incredible person. I just, um, I'm so fortunate to have met her, and I think she might have uh, tagged you in my Instagram post, and that's how this meeting or this uh, interview got made it happen. Yeah, she's very good at getting me involved more in the Type One community and getting me out there. And she's always tagging me in new things to do. And when she tagged me in your podcast post, I was like, ah. Oh, there's nothing for me to talk about. Like, I don't do anything exciting with my life. She's like, just do it like you do. Like, don't be stupid. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, people initially, uh, that's, a, that's a response that I get relatively regularly. Um, people say, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm living that exciting or I'm doing anything that extraordinary. But that's important to celebrate just like the daily wins, just like getting up and making it to work, getting on a regular exercise schedule, dropping the kids off at school, whatever the, whatever the victory is. I think those stories are important for people to hear as well because not everybody can run a marathon uh, or not everybody wants to maybe, or not everybody climbs Mount Everest. Not everybody jumps out of a plane, but you know, we all live day to day with type one and you know, a, a day where you wake up, you have a good day with your, blood sugar is a good relationship with yourself and your body and your type one. That's a good day. That's a day worth celebrating. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Everyone, no matter what, even if they are just a stay at home mom or this amazing person, like everyone's got their challenges and everyone overcomes it daily. And I always write down in my little journal, like today was a really good blood sugar day. And you know, that's a really good achievement for the day. Yes, it is. So it's so it's definitely worth celebrating. So worth celebrating. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for coming on the show and for uh, being flexible with your schedule today on your Saturday. Um, it it was great to to meet you and talk to you, and it was super awesome to hear your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was such a fun chat. For uh, for our listeners who want to find you on social media and maybe chat you up, what's uh, what's the best place to do that? 
Um, probably Instagram. They can find me on findbalance.nz on Instagram, um, and they can just write me a message anytime, any day. I just love to help other people and share with them any kind of tips that I have or them to share with me any tips that they have since I never can know it all. Well, uh, we'll definitely tag you in the show notes uh, and include all your relevant links and so people can get in touch with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And uh, we will be in touch very soon, I'm sure. Awesome. Have a good Friday night.